Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Ce qui se passe dans les bois est un véritable podcast sur la criminalité. Nous discutons d'événements qui sont souvent de nature violente. La discrétion de l'auditeur est conseillée. What Happens in the Woods is a true crime podcast. We discuss events that are often violent in nature. Listener's discretion is advised. There is a three-mile stretch of wooded land running through Seattle that is a city unto itself. Nicknamed the Jungle, this area of town is home to anywhere from three to four hundred homeless people trying to carve out an area in this world to hang their hat, so to speak. Every beat cop, detective, and officer in town knows that this area is one to be avoided at all costs. You don't go into the jungle unless you have business in the jungle. In 1997, when women began turning up dead in this area of Seattle, it caused authorities great concern, knowing how difficult it would be to find the person responsible if they were able to slip into the jungle undetected. After months of working through all leads and coming up empty, a man who seems to hold all the answers to these murders contacts the detectives working on the case. And that's when the games began. This is True Crime Podcast, What Happens in the Woods, with your host, Justin Bryce. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are happy to have you here. Um... I wanted to say thank you to a lot of uh, new listeners that we have. Bryce, have you have you noticed that? Yes. Yeah. No, you haven't. <laughs> what? I have. Okay. Hi, Bryce. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Um, we also have some guests with us today. So first off, you guys will remember Olivia, our daughter Olivia. What's up? She's back. And she brought a friend along. You're welcome. <laughs> Her boyfriend, actually. So, hello, Alec. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we have been graced with his presence. Yes. This should be interesting. He, yeah, he has no idea what the fuck he's getting into at all. That's right. 
We just plopped him in a chair, put a mic in front yeah. of him, was like, speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fun times. <laughs> contemplating his life choices. <laughs> I can see it in his eyes. I can see it. All right. Well, we are really close to ending the season. This is episode eight. Oh. Yeah. Wait. You realize that. No, I didn't. You're not even... You you're just like it's going. Time is flying by. I'm here for the stories. I'm here for the WTFs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. WTFs will be coming. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also are going to have that collab coming up with um, Elise and Winston from True Cat. No, True Crime Cat Lawyer. Yes. Yes, I. it's been a long week, guys. Sorry. Uh, from True Crime Cat Lawyer. And that is going to be releasing in April. So everybody keep, you know, keep their ears peeled for that one. And yeah, anything you have, Bryce? Any updates? Any no. news? No. Canada. Canada, our neighbors from the north are back in the lead. So. Canada. Canada. Welcome back, Canada. Yeah. Um, we we also, missed you. We did miss you. <laughs> we also have, um, we'll be announcing the winner of our giveaway. Okay. Yeah. So be on the lookout. That will be coming on Instagram. Um, I will announce that. I'll do a, a stories and announce that after we message the winner. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Very exciting. Somebody got to win. And get some free merch. It was me. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> All right. No updates. Nothing. We got nothing. No shows you've watched. Nothing. Alec, uh, do you have an update for us since it's your first time here? <laughs> the fear in your eyes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this is the first podcast I've ever been on. Um, yeah. Nothing really new. Okay. Do you, you want to introduce Alec. yourself first? Uh, hi, my name is Alec. Um, hi, Alec. I'm a, hi, Alec. I'm hi, Alec. Olivia's boyfriend, <laughs> <laughs> as I was previously introduced. Uh, uh, nothing really too special about me. I just he likes to eat Bryce's shepherd's pie. Oh, God <laughs> bless. The whole reason he's here. Right Love now. that. That's how we lured him down here. Yeah. Hey, Alec, we have shepherd pie. <gasps> Yeah. Yeah, I I wanted soup today. I did not get <laughs> I wanted soup. pizza. Oh my yeah, bad. I had actually promised Olivia I would order a pizza. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Nothing happened. Nobody got anything they wanted except for Alec. You're that special. God, yes. Yeah. All right. Are we ready, Olivia? Do you have any updates for the podcast? Oh, wow. No. Okay. I do not. <laughs> that was such a buildup. <laughs> oh, wow. Here we go. No. No. All right. Well, I guess I'll get into it. Are we ready? Are you ready, Alec? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. All right. So this episode, I have a story for you guys about one of the probably least talked about serial killers in Washington, in Seattle. Oh. And actually, this person was the first serial killer to be convicted in the city of Seattle. So just months ahead of uh, George Russell uh-huh. and what, two years, I think, uh, before Gary Ridgway was 
Yeah, Green River Killer. Well, before he was Before caught. he was convicted. Yeah. Yeah. So on September 12th, 1997, homicide detectives were called into an area of Seattle known as the jungle. And the jungle, I'm going to give some information, um, you know, list to it because it, it, there's a lot of backstory to it and, and what's happening with it now. But it, essentially, it's about 150 acres, so about three miles stretch of wooded area that up until about 2016, I'm not sure about now because I can't really find too much on it recently, but in 2016, um, there was about 400 homeless people living in this area, right in the middle of Seattle, right along um, where I-5 and I-90 are. So a three mile stretch of, of road Okay, that's right up against the freeway. And it had kind of built its own little ecosystem. People had been coming and going, setting up permanent, like for lack of a better term, permanent residences, tents, buildings in this area. And it had been known to, you know, there was a lot of crime, of course, that happened. There was a lot of drug dealers would come up right to the edge and would sell to people. So there's, there's a lot of crime that would happen in this area. Fires were set under the freeways water damage to the freeways, the on-ramps, the off-ramps. There was just a lot going on. Um, So it's a well-known area at this time in the 90s uh, to, you know, detectives. They're they're used to getting calls to show up there for random things. Okay. So they they show up, and um, unfortunately, a woman's body had been found by two transients that you know, one of them, it was near there where their tent was, their campsite was. Okay. Upon finding the woman, they walked, you know, down this trail out of the jungle and found a patrolman. Um, and they were like, hey, yeah, we just found a body. And <laughs> just kind of <laughs> like, and then just kind of hung out, you know, to be questioned. And, but it wasn't like, you know, oh my God, you got to come now. It was, hey, you know, call, call for backup. You got a body up here. Very nonchalant. Pretty much, which is is just know, was really that sad. normal for the I, I guess was that normal for the jungle or you don't yeah. know or no it, it it is it was so detectives come out homicide detectives and they would find the body of um, an African American woman she was maybe they thought in her thirties she had been strangled with her own belt um, was mostly clothed but her bra had been uh, ripped off and used as a gag. And it was shoved in her mouth. Okay. One thing that stood out was that the shoelaces of her shoes had been taken out of her shoes and used to bind her hands and her feet. But it was it was also really odd the way that they were used to do that because they were, first of all, her hands were tied in front of her body. In front. In front, not okay. in back. Um, so her hands were in front of her body and the shoelaces were not tied tightly so that she, you know, her movement was restricted. Uh They were literally tied like you would see handcuffs tied that, you know, that far apart. So her hands could have moved easily. I mean, they were tied around her hands, around her wrists, but they, her hands had movement. She could have untied her shoes, you Uh know, or untied her, her ankle at any point. She could have gotten herself up and walked away and not felt restricted in any way. So it was an odd 
it was an odd restraint. So there was no identification found near the body. Her body was found on its back and it was apparent that she had either, you know, rolled down the hill or possibly fallen while she was trying to to get away. Detectives felt by the clothing that the woman was wearing that she was not somebody who was transient. Her clothing was nicer, um, cleaner than would be expected, and she was only wearing a single layer of clothing. And from their experience, and most of you know what I read, was that most of the residents in the jungle who are homeless would wear multiple layers, as would many homeless in the area, just because of the elements. You never know when it's going to rain. You never know, you know, even in the summer, it can get cold. And night, nighttime, it gets, you know, really cold. So most of the time, there are multiple layers that, that people are wearing when they're out there. And she was only just wearing a t-shirt, a jean jacket, a pair of jeans, and shoes. Okay. So they are, you know, they're taking pictures of the scene. And one thing that stood out to the detective for whatever reason, was that there was a, a tree limb, a very short, spiky tree limb that had a beer can that had been shoved on it. And it just seemed weird. Uh, there wasn't much else, you know, garbage-wise around, and it didn't really make sense why there was just this one random beer can there. So he, it, you know, it stood out to him. He had the person taking the photos of the crime scene take a photo of it. And he wasn't sure what it meant or, you know, if it meant anything. It just stood out to him. And yeah. it was something that he felt was odd. Fingerprints would be the only way to identify this woman. So she was eventually identified as Denise Marie Harris. And she was a 42-year-old woman who had moved to Seattle from Pasadena, California, she had been working off and on as a teacher. Unfortunately, Denise had a very strong addiction to drugs and alcohol. Oh. And because of that, she had recently lost her employment altogether. And, as a teacher. Yeah, or, okay. as a teacher. Um, detectives found that the last known address that she had actually belonged to a gentleman who had been, you know, on and off, again, relationship, boyfriend, yeah. um, but pretty much just her roommate. But she had been also possibly living with another gentleman. So she kind of came in and went from this residence. But she had only lived in Seattle for maybe a year at this point. So James Cooper was the, you know, on and off again relationship. James uh, had met Denise in Las Vegas and they kind of instantly had an attraction. And he lived in Las Vegas. She lived in Pasadena. So she was just visiting. He ended up offering her a place to live after he re relocated to Seattle and she took him up uh, on it for whatever reason. He was definitely in love with her and he had, you know, hoped that they would make a go of a relationship, but it, her addiction was really complicating things. He, and he wasn't into that type of lifestyle. Uh -huh. So it, yeah, it, was just, it just wasn't, it wasn't working and she would come and go. So they, you know, they're talking to James and they knock on his door. They talk to him and he right off the bat, he was just, you know, OK, well, if you guys are here, she must be dead. And that kind of threw them off a little bit because he, he didn't seem upset yeah. necessarily. He just kind of seemed resigned to the fact and they weren't too sure what to make of that. 
they did, you know, ask her or ask a lot of questions about her. And he unfortunately had to identify her by one of the less gruesome crime scene photos. They had no other way of identifying her. He was able to, you know, tell them what she had been wearing and, you know, what she had had on her person. And he mentioned a purse that she always kept with her, just a black purse. He described it. And they hadn't found that purse because they hadn't found any identification at the scene. So they had not found that purse. It was not there. He told the detectives, you know, her addiction to drugs and alcohol caused her to be in some very rough situations and that she would be on binges for days at a time. And she, you know, if she couldn't pay with money to get what she wanted, she would pay in sex. Yeah. And that just kind of led to a lot of bad situations, bad outcomes. Yeah. He was able to tell them, you know, a few places where Denise might have been prior to her death. So the last time he had seen her was on Wednesday, the 10th of September. Um, she had come briefly by the apartment grabbed some money and then she left. He told them that she regularly visited a few places, including bars along Pike street. Um, one called the turf. And then there was another one called the, I think it's the 1911 club. So first on their list to check out was the 1911 club. And the bartender definitely remembered seeing Denise on Thursday because she was very intoxicated and she was quote getting shitty. So the bartender said he wouldn't serve her, and because of that, she left. Then they what, went... What club was that? 1911. The 1911 okay. club. And then they went to the turf, and the bartender there also remembered her and thought she had left with this guy named Robert, who was kind of like this regular customer. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, okay, well, if you see Robert, can you have him call us? Because he wasn't there. And the bartender was like, yeah, sure, if I see him come in, you know, I'll pass the message along. They never heard from Robert. Oh. Yeah. So they were following, you know, just a trail of, of bars and pubs down Pike Street. And the detective spoke to another bartender at a, a bar called The Mirror. They also remember Denise coming in around 5 p.m. on Thursday. So the day before they found her body, the bartender repeated the same information. She was fucking wasted. They would not serve her any alcohol. The bartender also stated that Denise was quite regularly in the bar and would find guys to leave with and that she'd come back, you know, sometimes and she would be, quote, flying high. So definitely, you know, correlates what the roommate boyfriend was saying about her drug use and drug use. Yeah. So detectives continued to search the jungle, you know, speaking to anybody who would talk to them. A lot of people are mistrusting of authorities there and for good reason. You yeah. know, it's they're just trying to find a little piece of the world where they can just be and exist. And they don't want people to come in and you know, ruin it. Ruin it. Exactly. Yeah. But they yeah. also don't trust the police because who knows what they'll come in and do. So they, you know, they're they're trying to get people who might have seen her, might have seen who she was with, anything. They're not getting far there. They are also, you know, going back and talking to witnesses who could have seen her at the bar. And while they're doing that, the toxicology report and the coroner's report come back. There's no evidence suggesting any sexual assault. Yeah. Which made the bindings on her wrists and ankles even more curious. Um, there was also no defensive wounds. That's really weird. But the what they could figure out, the bindings were put on after she was dead. 
That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. That's even more weird. Right. So she was strangled with her own belt, but then it was post-mortem that her shoelaces were tied around her wrist and her ankles. And detectives, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. There's no defensive wounds. There's no, but there's also no sexual assault. Yeah. So what the hell? What they did find, though, and given what they already knew at this point about, you know, her lifestyle and her life, her blood alcohol level was 0.12 and her blood and urine tested positive for cocaine. Okay. And there was enough in her system, you know, for them to test postmortem. So she had recently, before she died, done cocaine. But they had to be very recent or before she passed away. Okay. So, you know, the weeks go by, they're running down leads, they're talking to people in the jungle, they're, they're trying to find that missing purse, but the leads trickled out, people stopped talking, and her purse was nowhere that they could find. Yeah. Just into the new year of 1998, the body of a young indigenous woman, possibly a teenager, was found in an unused stairwell at, of all places, a Department of Corrections halfway house. Also, very near the jungle, yards away. Mm-hmm. So a homicide detective from Seattle PD was called out to the scene. Different detective. It was a very bloody and horrific scene. The woman was found at the base of the stairs, slumped over herself in sort of like a fetal position, and there was blood everywhere. There was a used mattress, and there was garbage all around, and blood is all over that in her clothing. So again, there was a transient male who had come across her body and they held him, you know, took him downtown for questioning because he had blood on his clothing, on his shirt. And, you know, right off the bat, the detective saying, okay, well, he must have, he must be involved or he must have touched her. Either way, it's not good. So he's questioning him, you know, how did you come across her? And the, the man says he was just looking for a place to sleep. And he, you know, he had slept there before a few times. And so he went randomly back there and he just found her. He didn't touch her. He yelled out to her. (laughs) He didn't touch her, but her blood's all over me. Well, I'll get to that. Oh, he, he yelled out to her, but he didn't realize that she was dead. And so he, you know, when he realized that there was blood all over there, he ran into the building and he, he, you know, had them call authorities. So, Detective asks, okay, so where's the blood on your shirt from? What's what's that from? And he says, well, I got in a fight with this guy and he punched me in the face and this is my blood. And so, you know, the detective's like, okay, well, you know, can we test it? Can we, do you mind? I'll, you know, switch your clothing. I've got some clothes you can put on. Can we test it? And the gentleman hands over his shirt and he's like, yeah, sure. Here, here you go. Very cooperative. Yeah. It was his blood. It was not oh. her blood. So it's a negative to, you know, a match of her blood. It's it's his and the other guys that were, they were in the fight. So this man is let go and authorities are, you know, pretty confident that he's not involved, but they have nothing else to go on. You know, they don't even know the victim's identity at this point. Uh-huh. So they're out of leads pretty much. When the forensic pathologist arrives to examine the body, they find that there was some sort of blade that had been plunged into her throat and it had been slashed very deeply as well as a deep cut down to her bone on her cheek. And she bled out heavily from that injury. And that is what would be confirmed as her cause of death was bleeding out from 
knife wound. She had also been stabbed in her chest and her torso, but what was perhaps the most shocking injury was multiple stabs to her butt, to her buttocks. What the fuck? Right. Seven stab wounds were found during her autopsy in her butt. Was this post-mortem or? Well, I mean, at that point she was bleeding out, so not quite. So there's no. Maybe it was because she was in the stairwell. She was running away and that was the only like. So the stairwell goes down. They She was already down. So she wasn't running. She was already down there. There is no blood leading down the stairs to where she was. All of the blood was down where oh. she was found. Okay. And on the mattress and on the ground and on her clothing. So she was at the lowest level of the yes. stairs. Okay. Yeah. So there's no weapon found at the scene. They don't know where this, you know, knife could have come from or gone. But something that stood out to the detective was that one shoe was off. And this is January, so it's it's freezing. Yeah. She definitely would be one of the people that they would have recognized as a transient, you know, because she was wearing, like, I think three different pairs of pants multiple layers of like tops and sweatshirt and and everything, which would have been pretty indicative that she was out in the elements and she was trying to stay warm. Yeah. So it was odd that one of her shoes was off. What was more odd was the laces on the one shoe were out and the other was untied. So they're thinking, what is it? What is it about the laces? Why would she have her shoes off? It's freezing cold. Yeah. And, you know, this is a different detective. So he's, again, you know, it's these little things that stand out that people see that maybe nobody else would recognize. Yeah. You know, eventually the young woman is identified as Olivia Smith. She's 28 years old. She also has a police record, which now that she's identified, it makes sense why she was on the street. She was known to have a addiction to cocaine and she had been arrested for theft, uh, for prostitution. And she, you know, had lived a very hard life on the streets. Yeah. The detective on her case remembers that a woman was found just a few months prior to that in the jungle. And that was Denise Harris and that shoelaces were involved. So he brings his case to the detective that is covering Denise's case. Yeah. And he's, you know, suggesting that they may be related. He's, you know, this is just too odd of a coincidence. They were found in relatively the same area. And to have shoelaces be something that could be common, that's just, it's too weird of a coincidence. They don't, they each don't have anything to go on in their cases. Just shoelaces. Just, just, (laughs) yeah. Both of them agree to keep each other posted on their progress. And they also agree that, you know, they, they probably need to bring this to somebody higher up attention that maybe they've got a serial repeater on their hands. Nobody in the department wants to hear it though. Yeah. So, you know, of course they don't have a serial killer. You can't, you can't say that. Don't put that out in the news and. Yeah, there's no, you've got nothing that connects the two of them. And yeah. Did the the second girl, did she have cocaine in her system? She she had been high too. Yeah, she had cocaine in her system as well. Well, that's another thing they have. Right. Because they're both high. They're just, I think, 
I think people want to don't they don't want to create panic, but they also don't want to admit the fact that sometimes things are more connected than what they want them to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're going to keep each other posted, but meanwhile, they've, they respectively each have to, you know, keep working other cases and they have to, you know, follow up on this as they can. On February 1st, 1998, two transients were walking behind some warehouse buildings about a half a mile from where Denise Harris had been discovered And they came across a badly decomposed body that had been covered up with brush and cardboard. So authorities respond and they found the skeletal remains of what appeared to be an obvious murder victim. Clothing was found with the remains that indicated that there had been, you know, a struggle. Some of them were ripped. It didn't look like decay or, you know, anything like out in the elements. It looked like there was actually fraying that would suggest ripping. As investigators took over the scene, they found that the person had been gagged as, you know, there was cloth that had been from underwear that was across like the open jaw area. And mind you, these are remains. So the skull at that point was completely exposed. There was no skin. But this piece of fabric was over, you know, across where the, the basically the teeth were. Okay. Yeah. They also found shoelaces. Of course they did. One was tied around the neck. Two were tied together at the wrists and two also at the ankles. Again, not tied tightly. There there would have been movement. So it wasn't restrictive. It was just they were tied together. You already fucked them up. Like, what's the point of the shoelaces? Yeah, I it's it's a weird thing. So this time they're able to get an identity from information at the scene. They find a bag and they find a few things. So their victim is a 33-year-old Antoinette Jones. Antoinette had had also had a really rough life. And after her, her brother, I believe, committed suicide after coming home from the Gulf War, she just, she lost it. And so she turned to drugs and she had been on the streets had an arrest history and she had been battling addiction with drugs for some time at this point. She had last been seen in the company of two men and this was three months prior and her remains when the autopsy was performed by the forensic pathologist, her remains confirmed that she had been murdered around the same time as Denise Harris. So it's very clear at this point that they have a serial killer on their hands who had a very specific MO but they have no leads as to who, mm. you know, these women were on the streets essentially. And any one of numerous people could have come in contact with them and done this. They really have no idea who they're looking for or what they're looking at. And none of them, none of them were prostitutes, right? Not actual prostitutes, but they would trade sex for drugs. Right. So I don't want to say they were sex workers. They yeah. had been picked up previously on prostitution charges, but they would trade sex for drugs. Okay. So I don't feel that that's the same. I don't feel that's the same thing. I know that in, you know, police aren't going to care. You know, that's why they get picked up like that. But yeah. I don't think that's the same to me. There's no money exchanging hands. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I have a commodity and you have a commodity and, and let's, Let's make a deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I, they're I bartering. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't classify that as sex work. Yeah. You know, I and it may just be semantics, and I may be wrong, but that's just how I feel. So, just when the detectives are trying to get enough evidence together to search for suspects, a man out of the blue calls from the county jail, stating he knows all about who killed that school teacher, and he wants to make a deal. He'll talk if they get him out of his current robbery charges. And after this break, I'll tell you how this plays out. Bill. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In May of 1998, Dwayne Lee Harris, no relation to Denise, who was also known to go by the nickname Chili Willy, began leaving messages for the detective daily. He claims in these messages that he knows the person responsible for Denise Harris's murder. At the time of these calls, he was in the regional justice center, so basically the, the county jail, city jail. He was there on an attempted robbery charge for trying to rob a 7-Eleven. Um, so, yeah, he went into a 7-Eleven. He uh, asked for an application. He wrote on the back <laughs> of that application, this is a stick-up. Give me all the money. And the guy took the paper and he was like, is this for real? And he was like, no, 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 it's just a joke. Oh, well, that's too bad because I just hit the panic button. The police are on their way. Nice. <laughs> yeah. God, what a dumbass. Per- yeah. Yeah. So he says if the detectives can get him out of this charge, you know, if he can be released, then... He'll give them the name of the man who did this. And the detectives ask them, you know, how, how can we trust you? You're, you're obviously a person who's in jail right now for committing a crime. And he states, did you ever find that purse? And not only had they not found the purse, but they had not released that info to the public. Oh. So this dude knows some inside information. Yeah, he's like, bitch, yeah. I know. I'm here to play. I know something you don't. <laughs> the detectives soon made arrangements to meet up with Mr. Harris, and he agreed to go out with them on, you know, out to the scene of Denise Harris's murder in the jungle to give them details and to, you know, tell them all how it happened. He named the murderer as Daryl Smith, or as he was known on the streets, DC. He says he's a tall guy, he's about 220. With Wait, a DC, DC, his name is Daryl Smith. Yes, <laughs> where'd the C come from? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm just asking because I'm don't, really confused. Don't question here. it. Yeah, yeah, this this guy. The more that I talk about this guy, the more it will become clear exactly. Right. I'm Bryce Carroll. Call me is. PQ. Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. Sorry, this guy. So DC is a tall guy. He's about 220 pounds and he's got a twirly mustache. Twirly mustache. Yeah. So he is a villain. Right. He also has a recognizable tattoo of a heart with a dagger through it. 
Chili Willie says that he and DC were together when DC killed Denise. And he saw the whole thing, of course. Oh, so now he's made himself an accomplice. Right. Accomplice to murder? The search is on for, for the sterile smith, but none... You know, they're going through the system and they're looking for Daryl Smith. Nobody is fitting the description. Mm. Yeah. So at least that has a criminal, you know, that history. A, yeah. So detectives, you know, have a feeling at this point that there's either bad info being passed to them or there was, you know, more going on here than their new best friend, Chili Willie, wanted to admit to. Chili Willie and Tinky Chili Winky Willie. are lying. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so sure enough, you know, they take him from the jail to the scene of the murder and they get there and the name changes. It wasn't Daryl Smith. It was Mike or maybe even Mark Smith. He he wasn't quite sure what he went by, you know. Okay. He didn't know the guy too well. They just hung out and they murdered together. <laughs> yeah. But he, I don't <laughs> I know, know him, him too well, yeah. but yeah. We're not I friends or that. anything. I, just, I don't know that guy. I just, just watch him murder. Him. I don't yeah. know why you would think that's that's a thing. Right. I, I mean, how dare I? When they get to the jungle, Dwayne takes them right to where the body was found. He begins describing how Mike or Mark or Daryl killed her and where her body was left. He knew what she had been wearing and how she was left, what position, and if her clothing was done, undone, all of that. He knew just a little too much, but he also wanted to talk. And they just let him. Is he going to talk about the shoelaces? No. At times he said he, you know, participated. Other times he said he did certain things like shoved the gag in her mouth. But then he would say it was Mike who did it. Then, you know, detectives just let him keep talking. It didn't need to make sense. They just needed him to ramble on. And, and eventually they were going to hope to get something useful out of like it. Like a confession. And then he remembers that he hit his head on a branch sticking out that had a beer can shoved on it. <laughs> okay. Huh. And that just solidifies that he he knows way too much yeah. about what's happened. And it's just a very specific detail. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that same detective who's out there with him now is is the same detective that was working that case. And that, for some reason, stood out to him. And they there's actual photo, you know, crime scene photos of it. And here's this guy talking about it, how it poked him in his forehead. <laughs> so then they ask him where the purse is. You know, since he knows so much, where's the purse at? Chilly Willie. He says it's over in a sewer drain little ways away in the woods. So he says, Mike, you know, went and dumped it over there after they rifled through it. So they both rifled through her purse. Yeah. They don't see anything immediately. You know, they go over there and he's like, oh yeah, it was right down here. And he's telling them, you know, I, I even tried to take some of the checks from her purse. Cause you know, we have the same last name, even though I didn't know this bitch. I, we had the same last name yeah. and, but I, I couldn't because, you know, there, I don't have any ID that, that has her name. Y you had the ID right in her wallet, in her wallet along with yeah. her checks, but you know, I sure. He didn't have the ID. He didn't have the ID. So they don't see anything, you know, immediately there. There's, there's no black purse that's around. 
they take Dwayne back to jail and the next day they go out with city workers and the drain is pumped. They find nothing. No purse, no ID, no belongings to her, nothing. Over the next few weeks, detectives are still questioning Dwayne and he's calling daily and in, in talking to the detectives. The detective who worked Denise case was Mike Szynski. And so Dwayne would call him Mikey Mike, you know, set up, set up nicknames. He was big into nicknames, DC, Chilly <laughs> Willie, Mikey Mike. Tinky Winky. Yeah. They know that he's involved. They, you know, they have him admitting to at least assisting in the attack on Denise along with, you know, Mike or Mark or whoever Smith. The problem is there is no Mike or Mark or Daryl. They can't find records that match the description for any of those names on that person. But he keeps offering info. So they keep going and talking to him and they keep taking him out to the jungle while he's giving them, you know, oh, there's a body over here. Oh, I raped somebody over here. All sorts of information he's giving these guys. And really all he wanted was to get out of the jail, to go and have, you know, a a cappuccino, as he would call it. And he wanted to bullshit is really what it amounted to. But he's talking. He's talking and they're letting him. So they'd go get a hot dog. They'd go get a cappuccino. (laughs) And they would, you know, walk through this homeless town, basically. And they're just letting him talk. At one point, he then, you know, has another inmate call, get on the phone with him and talk to the detective and back up his story about Mike or Mark. And it's quite obvious because at this point, he's like, he doesn't, he's not giving them anything new. And the detectives are slowly kind of, you know, backing off of him and not reaching out to him. So he's reaching out to them. So he's like, well, I have this friend who's an in- inmate here who knows all about Mike. Yeah. And, you know, he could tell you, he can back up my story. And this guy gets on the phone with the detective and he's, you know, oh, yeah, I heard some guy uh, who was selling dope the other day and he was talking about how he killed a woman. And the detective says, well, you know, what's this guy's name? And he's like, Lewis. <laughs> and he says, you know, put your friend back on the phone. So Dwayne gets back on the phone and the detective at that point says, you know, you, you really should have schooled your friend better before you get him on the phone to try to lie to me. And he hung up and Dwayne, you know, calls back the next day. He's like, Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't have had him lie. I, I, I know that was wrong and I'll, I'll be straight with you. I'll be honest with you. And you know, that won't happen again. And at this point that, you know, the detective is, he's just, He's kind of done with it and they're not getting any new information and they're not getting anything solid. Yeah. Around this time, that same detective who was on Denise Harris's case randomly comes in contact with a young woman who was a witness to a murder. So they're escorting her to basically a safe house because she's going to testify in this murder. Mm -hmm. She is also a known addict who I do believe she was a sex worker but she also had traded sex for drugs in the past. She was a young, young woman, maybe 20 years old, and she'd been on the street since she was like 14. Yeah. She tells them about some of her close calls. They just kind of get to talking. And this is including the time a guy named Chilly Willie raped her, <laughs> yeah. eat her, and tied her up with her own shoelaces. 
I'm not laughing at the rape. I'm just laughing at the name. Yeah. She was able to get away, albeit she was naked as the day she was born. She had to run away from the apartment they were in to safety. She had heard Chilly Willie get on the phone and ask the person on the other line for an alibi because he was about to commit murder. And the detectives, you know, they knew the guy was involved, but to get this this random person who is able to come and and validate everything that had happened with other victims as her own experience and possible experience was just, it, it was the break that they needed in this case. You know, they, they could connect him and they could connect the MO at this point to him. Yeah. So the, you know, the tables are flipped. They don't know. He doesn't know that they know about this girl. Okay. So they continue to contact him after this and they, you know, they knew that he was involved, but they didn't really know. Now they know that the shoelace thing is cooperated with another story. They know it's his thing. It's very clear that he's their man. And wouldn't you know it, he calls them up one day and he's like, yeah, you know, I I have so much more to share with you guys. You know, I can we still, can we talk? Yeah. They uh, show up to, you know, question him. And he says that he can take them to where another body was. And of course the detectives are like, okay, well, let's, let's go. Let's see where you take us. And when he shows them to the place where Antoinette Jones remains were found, Mm -hmm. they absolutely know that he's connected to all three murders at this point. Yeah. He's able to tell them that her body, when uh, she was deceased, was left under cardboard to cover it up. But again, it wasn't him. It was Mike. It's his other personality. It's Mike Smith. However, they get him back to the jail and they are interviewing him and he says, hey, I, it wasn't Mike. It wasn't Mark. It wasn't Daryl. I killed these women and I've killed a lot more. And he just doesn't want to lie to the detectives anymore. And if he thought that they were going to be surprised by this information, he was dead wrong. <laughs> so they immediately start questioning him. Yeah. And, you know, they had been waiting for months to ask him questions about these murders. He confesses to, you know, under their interrogations to all three of the murders and also, you know, crimes of other murders and rapes. But he quickly added his friend Mike back into the mix. He told them that he and Mike found Denise while driving around. She got in their car, smoked some, uh, you know, did some crack, basically. Yeah. They drank a lot, partied. They took her to the jungle to party, and she was just simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. She was strangled with her own belt. Her bra was shoved in her mouth as a gag. And after she was dead, he took the laces from her shoes and loosely tied her hands and ankles. He does not explain why. Never? Never. Oh, jeez. Damn. Olivia Smith had offered to trade sex for some of, you know, hits off of his crack pipe. But when they had finished having sex, he decided to kill her and not get high with her. He didn't know that she had had a knife on her until he tried to strangle her, uh, strangle her from behind. She lashed out at him and sliced his hand. And that really pissed him off. But she lost control of the, the knife at that point. So the violent attack on her was a result of him losing his cool. He got pissed off. 
He had started to take her shoes off after stabbing her multiple times. Um, and he was undoing the laces, but his hand was bleeding too much. And he wasn't sure if there were people around. So he just left. Left her as was. And she was the one at the stairs? She was the one at the stairs. Okay. Antoinette was killed for revenge, according to him. So Dwayne claimed that she and a couple of friends stole some cocaine from him, and this was the payback. He had a guy that she was friends with uh, get her out to you know an out-of-the-way place where he proceeded to choke her until she died, and then he tied her in the same manner after she had passed. In his confession, Dwayne claimed she begged for her life, and he coldly told her to save it for Jesus, that he didn't give a fuck. Wow. Yeah. So with these confessions, Dwayne Harris was taken into custody um, and charged with three counts of first degree murder. He was technically already in custody awaiting his robbery charges to, to go through. Well, the, you know, hearing and sentencing, Uh, but they, they did rearrest him for the first degree murder his uh, bail was set at $5 million, which he did not Whoa. make. So he was there. And then not long after that, the trial began after it. And it was a complete fiasco. Yeah. So Dwayne had frequent outbursts. He was yelling. He was throwing things. He was throwing chairs during court. He would, you know, interrupt the lawyer, his lawyer, his own lawyer, who's trying to defend him. The prosecution and the judge. He would interrupt, yell, cuss, scream, throw things. Maybe he had Tourette's. Maybe. No. I or maybe he just has a mental illness, or or maybe he's just a jerk. I don't know. Yeah, that, I I like that yeah. better. At one point, he had to leave the courtroom. He had to be placed in a separate room where he could, you know, watch the proceedings, but couldn't interrupt. Uh, of course, he was guarded. If he was needed to be present, they had to put him in a wheelchair that he was strapped into and locked into. So he would have shackles on and he would have straps on and he could not move. (laughs) But it didn't shut him up. He still kept talking. Yeah. So, you know, just when everybody thought it couldn't get worse, they're going through this trial. It's not going well. Dwayne recanted his confession of two of the murders. His lawyer put him on the stand, which stupid. He took the stand. He claimed that detectives had forced him to confess, that he was coerced. He's, he says that they told him that he wouldn't be charged if they gave them more info on his other crimes. He stated that he did kill Olivia Smith, that it was a crime of passion, and it was self-defense when she pulled out the knife. She attacked him. So he had to try to defend himself by choking her from behind with a ligature when she cut him. It's kind of like shooting someone in the back. Right. (laughs) I choked her from behind. So he lost his temper, but he does confess, you know, he, that is upheld, but he says he did not kill Denise Harris nor Antoinette Jones, that it was all lies. That they they got that information and they made him say that he did it. Did he clarify they were his lies? He did not. Oh, okay. No, it was the detectives and the or prosecution. Was it you know, it could have been Mike. D- DC. DC. Tinky Winky. In the end, the jury felt that they had enough to convict him of all charges. So they they heard, you know, he had just been 
a horrible person in court. The the judge was so frustrated with him. Yeah. It was a miracle that it even finished that they, they couldn't, you know, that they didn't declare a mistrial, to be honest. But the jury did com- convict him. They found him guilty of all three charges. During the trial, his ex-wife actually came in and had testified. She was scared for her life yeah. to do it. Because if he did not get put away, then he was going to come and find her. And she knew it. Of course he was. But during their time married, he had been abusive, physically, sexually, all of it. He had also at one point tied her up with shoelaces. This was prior, 10 years prior to those murders. It's his deal. I have no idea what it is with the shoelaces. And you said he won't say. And he has not said. I, I mean, the fact is that he really no longer admits to any of this. Of course. Yeah. The young girl who had witnessed the murders and, you know, was in protective custody and told about her experience prior, how he had raped her and tied her up. She also testified against him. Okay. And she had actually filed a report with the King County Sheriff's about that incident. And they, they found that incident. And that was something else that corroborated his, you know, MO, basically what they said was his MO about shoelaces and tying people up. So they it's just more more pieces. It's just more pieces. Yeah. yeah. One month later, he was sentenced and he, you know, he had been found guilty. He was sentenced to 94 years in prison. No chance of parole. He laughed out loud when the judge read that sentence. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I wanted to read something that he had said during his closing, you know, the closing statements of his sentence hearing. And it it's. It is scary because it's accurate. And you'll know what I mean in a minute. Okay. But the whole point that it comes to, I am not the worstest enemy of the system. You're going to have plenty more. Every day somebody is shooting and killing. Every day is going to be chaos. It's not just going to put away Mr. Harris and you're going to bed and sleep inside your sweet rooms. There's more of us. Then he goes on to say, I just ask for the families of these victims for forgiveness, but you are not getting justice in any way you look at it. You are not going to get justice regardless that you give me all the time. I am still walking the yard. I still got radio, TV. I'm still going to kick it. So let's just go on with my sentence and thank you, ma'am. Basically, what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you put me away. There's more like me. And you don't get justice because I'm still I'm alive. alive. I got radio. I'm gonna watch TV. Right on your guys. I'm dime. on your dime while you guys are mourning for your daughters, your mothers, your your sisters, your you know significant others. Yeah. I'm still sitting in jail, and that's not justice for you because I took the life, but my life is still here. Yeah, and. Just bold and brazen I, of that Very fucker. bold. Yeah. Very bold. I I can't imagine sitting in the courtroom and hearing that. In one sentence, he says, I hope the families can forgive me. I ask for their for- forgiveness, but you're not getting justice. Yeah, it just doesn't sound sincere. No, it's not sincere. It's it's not. And and then he, he went on to say that, you know, he played with the detectives. He was playing a game with them. Yeah. Very sociopathic. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of it is. Yeah. 
you know, how you're, he played the game, and you came forward from you were already in jail. You did not have to admit to these murders. You didn't have to involve yourself whatsoever in the investigation of the murders of these women. The fact that you could not sit in jail and just go a couple of years on a robbery charge. Yeah. No, but it also he just seems like a psychopath because look, yeah. like, you know, most of the cases that we have looked at and I don't know, it, it's an escalation. It's like a breaking and entering right. escalation, right? a rape and then a rape and killing, you know, breaking, entering, right. rape, kill. But this guy was just like killing people already and then he decided to get an application at a Seven Eleven and say, Hey, this is a robbery. <laughs> like yeah, it's, he, uh, yeah, it's, it's way out of order and just like, well, there was escalation. Order. The, the thing is with, with him and what I found, um, well, I actually listened to another, well, he list. I listened to another podcast that actually interviewed him from jail mm-hmm. recently. And he, I'll, I'll link it. Um, it, it I won't do the whole, you know, talk about the whole episode or whatever, but he does talk about his, his childhood and he says he started uh, stealing things when he was six years old. Oh yeah. And that you know, his, his mom would beat the shit out of him basically for doing bad things. Well, he was stealing. He yeah. was going, he wanted candy. He went and stole candy. Yeah. And that's where his progression started. He was stealing things he was in a life of crime. He then apparently got involved in gang activity, which I I only heard that from him. I didn't see that in anything that I researched about him. Yeah. I only heard that's only from, you know, his words. Um, and then from there he was doing whatever he was doing in, in in the gang. So that could be killing, that could be beating people, that could be anything. It could be a number of things. Yeah. You know. So there was progression. But in in the case of the the murders and then what you know where he was at this point in his life is just a weird it's a weird thing you yeah. know you you could have got away with robbery you could have just let this be and not been caught for murder but it, I think you that's just that couldn't whole... let somebody else take the credit or you couldn't let you couldn't accept that you couldn't take the credit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know? that goes along with all serial killers. They want to talk. They want to yeah, talk and they, they want to tell you their story. Right. Cause they want to feel acknowledged Well, that too, but like yeah, more but... superior than you because right. hey, and that's I got why some information. Yeah. I have yeah. some information that you guys don't know about. And I honestly don't think that he thought if he played the game well enough that the detectives would not, yeah, no, like where know, did he wouldn't. think that was going to go? I don't know, because that's the thing is I I read. Um, so one of the things that I read about, you know, in preparing for this was a, a book by the detective who was working Denise Harris's case, and it's a very short book specifically on just just her case, his time. Yeah, yeah it, well, the three cases, but his time dealing with Dwayne Harris, and it. Yeah, it was it was interesting to read that because he, you know, from his point of view, he was like, the second I, this guy started calling me, I knew he was involved. Yeah. Who else reaches out like that? Oh, yeah. Who, who else says, I'm going to make a deal on a robbery charge and then starts talking about, oh, I know what happened in a murder. Yeah. Why would you involve yourself? Yeah. It's stupid. 
is just stupid. Why would you involve yourself? Because then you're starting to say, oh, but I was there. And oh, I put the gag in her mouth. And, you know, I held her down. I saw him, you know, strangle her with the belt. I I did this and I helped here. And I, you're an accessory now. Yeah. That's more than robbery. Oh, yeah. Why would you do that? That's stupid. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting to read about him. And then it, there are a lot of uh, videos of him. And then, yeah, listening to that, that podcast that um, interviewed, and that's all the podcast does. I'd never heard of it before. Um, and I will link it, but it's only interviews with inmates and it's short, you know, he doesn't, it's not more than like 30 minutes, most of them, but he's just asking them a few questions and letting them talk to hear this guy talk, to hear Dwayne Harris talk. He doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. He sounds like a fucking cult leader, how they there's justification behind everything that they say. And it's so twisted and it's so warped that they believe their own lies. And that's exactly what it sounded like to, to hear him speak. But at the same token, I'm glad he doesn't have an organized thought. You know what I mean? He could be dangerous really then. (laughs) I I think he's a lot smarter than. No, I think he is smart. That's the thing. He's just, you know, he's not using it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the ego that, that got him caught. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think he's a stupid person. I just think it, like you said, it's that need to be known. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. But there you go, guys. Seattle's first convicted serial killer. killer. Yeah. There are others. There, there are others that have happened, but not convicted. Yeah. Which is scary because it's prediction of there are more of us. It oh, makes God, me yeah. weirded out. Like, is there a network of serial killers that are just meeting and they're like, hey, like Al- Alcoholics Anonymous, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I wonder that about like shoplifters. Right. God. I'm sure like organized shoplifting, there's a huge communication problem. Yeah. I, oh, well, yeah. I don't know. The other night. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, yeah, mom comes to my work and literally the first 15 minutes of her being there there's two walkouts yeah there was two people and then i go to target and somebody almost ran me over with a cart while they're shoplifting and the security oh. yeah like i i stepped out of the way and i'm sad that i did now because i think the security guy could have stopped him if i hadn't but he literally was not going to stop for me yeah. he literally was pushing the cart and I like it, I felt it behind me and I turned around. And I was like, what the hell, man? And I see the security guy try to like, hey, sir, you're going to have to leave that cart here. And he just kept pushing. And I was like, you are fucking ballsy. Yeah. But I was not about to get run over by a cart. It wasn't worth my life, yeah. you know, or, you know, be being injured in any way. It just sucked because I was like, damn it. I could have I could have made a difference here today. <laughs> you know, there's some people who do it just because they're assholes. But then there are people who are they're in need and they just, that's the way that they go about getting their, the things that they need. And I just, I hate it. I, I love when the rude people, cause I, th- the time I work is usually the time they always come. And I just love the, the jerky people who don't need to steal, but steal anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. One no, time, I know. Cause that one guy that had the shoes, like, I'm sorry. You, yeah. You were driving a fucking Lincoln Navigator or some shit. Don't tell me you can't afford to buy those shoes. Yeah. 
And then like a month ago, this girl, this girl stole like an entire cart worth of clothes and went out to her nice fucking Honda. And she was like, I only stole because you guys were rude. That's not, that's not a reason. I was just like, that's really funny. Yeah. That's not a reason. I don't know. I just, I, yeah. I mean, stealing is not okay, but. It just, it makes me sad when it's like, you know, people who are in need. Yeah. You know, and like the guy that almost ran me over, I he had like four big things of those Tide Pods. I know they're reselling them. Yeah. Like, you know, I know what they're doing with them. And it just, it's like, really, is, is it that bad for you? That that's, you're stealing Tide Pods? Yeah. And you're going to, you know, resell, like, is it really that bad? You know, it's. I don't know. I just hate it. But in this guy's case, he just, for whatever reason, as a child, just thought he deserved candy and went and stole candy. And it just started escalating, started escalating to whatever the fuck he wanted to do. He did it. Yeah. At one point, he told that detective, yeah, you're right. It was me. It wasn't anybody else because I work alone. Nobody's going to tell me what the fuck to do. And then, you know, but then the next day it's, oh, you know, it was Mike. Mike was with me. Daryl, DC, whoever. Yeah. Who was with me. He's got to have some type of issues. I'm not exactly sure what, but. I, I do feel part that of there him, was something. Yeah. Maybe there, part of him actually happening. believes there was another human being there. It, maybe he does. And that's true too. Maybe, maybe he really has no sense of reality. I mean, obviously he was doing drugs too. Yeah. yeah. You know. Don't and, do drugs, kids. And that's the problem with addiction and, and drugs is that it can lead you to some very scary things and scary situations. And, you know, it, it alters your view of reality and what's really happening. And it's it's just an, it's an unfortunate thing. You know, addiction is a very sad thing, but it's also is just it's one of the hardest things that people go through. I think it's trying to trying to figure out their lives at, as it looks without addiction, yeah. you know, but it, for some people, they don't care. I, he obviously didn't care. No. He didn't no. give a fuck. He didn't care about any of those victims. He didn't care about any of those people. And even in the interview that I listened to that he gave to the other, that podcast is like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about people. He's like, I'd never hurt a child, but I don't care about no woman, no man. I don't care. <laughs> fuck yeah. yeah. I'm like, that's great. But you know, you, you did hurt somebody's child. Yeah. You know, Psychopathic. those women were somebody's child. Yeah, he just he, he has no he had no remorse. Yeah. So definitely an interesting case and it's is not what I expected when I uh came across Chili Willy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> for the for the younger listeners, like you won't know who Chili Willy is. Alec, no. do you know who Chili Willy is? Isn't he <sighs> I mean, you said Tinky Winky, isn't that the freaking? Or no, that's not. No, I, I I probably know if I saw a picture of the person, the picture of the thing, but like not not actually. I I didn't actually know right off the bat. I I'm not good with names. It. I had to refresh my. Chili Willy. Yeah. The little penguin. I know. Or a little beanie. I didn't remember that though. <laughs> Penguin I didn't. Beanie. <laughs> and it was funny because the detective was like, "Oh yeah, Chili Willy." Well, f- once I saw the picture, I I was like, "Oh yeah, that, it's a cartoon." 
It's yeah. a cartoon movie, right? Is that a movie? It, no, was, yeah, it was a little a cartoon, like series. Tom and Jerry kind of thing. Oh, it was a series? Yeah. yeah. But the villain in that cartoon has a twirly mustache. <laughs> and so when he was describing DC or Mark or whoever. I've seen it. I've, yeah. uh, but I've only watched like a tiny bit of it. Like my mom used to watch it though. They yeah. used to have it on Boomerang. Sure. They put it on Boomerang for a little bit. I just know he would come on with Woody Woodpecker too. Yeah. So that, yeah. Yeah, the, I'm aging myself. Sorry. I know who Woody Woodpecker is. Yes, yeah, I'm. Do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know that? Because I hated the Woody Woodpecker. The Woodpecker. I absolutely hated it. It was so annoying. I don't know, but I know who that is. I don't oh, know where I'm, I knew I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't keep that from your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you made it through your first podcast, Alec. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, final thoughts on it. I just thought, I thought it was pretty great, a pretty great story. I just, I wish I knew stuff about the shoelaces, but it, I mean, it's kind of just everybody wishes that too. Yeah. I yeah. wish I figured, he, that, figured out what that was. Yeah. And then just, but it is kind of interesting how he did try to play the cops to where he said all this information, but it was a different guy. Yeah. But like, in my opinion, I definitely know it's just him just right playing the cops or some shit. And like, I don't know. He, he like wants to take credit, but at the same time doesn't want to take credit. Like yeah. he just, yeah. I mean, he just seems too cracked out. It's, yeah. It's that thrill of the, of the chase still. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm gonna drop you this, this, this little crumb, see if you right. can get it. Yeah. Which he, they already knew he was because they had some lady yeah. in the safe house. You know what I mean? Like, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. Oh, oh, you're trying yeah. to play us. You want another cappuccino? Okay. Yeah. Cappuccino. I was like, who's, I mean, sure. Who calls I, it that? I, he did. He did. For a and second, when you first said it, I thought you said puppuccino. <laughs> like, I know. That's what I thought I heard, yeah. too, when I hear, heard him say it. Like, he gets the Cuppuccino. fucking dog coffees. Like, what? Cappuccino. Okay. To each his own. Yeah. I wouldn't I, judge you, Alec, no, if you like. No offense. Puppy. <laughs> the dog <laughs> coffees? Yeah. yeah. You say it like that, though. What? Who does? I said no offense to anyone who actually oh. says it like that. Though. I don't think any. I've never heard anybody say cappuccino. Maybe in the 90s when like it first started getting popular, people got it wrong, but I think it's now. It's definitely C-A. I know. Cappuccino. I know, but there are different people, different lays of the land. Yeah. Just like I wash my clothes. Oh, don't start. Or I wash my clothes. You see what I'm I saying? I wash them. No, I know. Because there's plenty of people who still say wash. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. Well, it out. I'm I'm not sure that I can say Minnesota. that it's right. No, my grandma said Warsh. Yeah. She was from Missouri. She was from Missouri. Yeah. I'm not making fun of Minnesota. I love saying it like that. <laughs> Minnesota. It's just I don't know. Yeah, his his cappuccinos and his cigarettes and his hot dogs. Yeah. You know. If they were. Costco hot dogs is even better. Mm. <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, 
Oh, all right. Well, Alec, you made it through. You made it through. I like good job, Olivia. Hell it's been yeah. a while. I'm glad you knew you remembered your what to do. Your duties. You were very quiet, though. Well, I feel better when I can talk more. I just know that you have a long story to get through, and I don't want to interrupt. But if it was a what the fuck Wednesday, I'd be speaking a lot more. Okay. Yeah, well, they're coming. Bryce Bryce won't let us not have them. Oh, they're Good. coming. No, they're coming. They they are a coming. They'll get How you. How many more episodes left in uh, the season? Two more episodes left in this season. Ooh. And then we're, we're going on break. Oh You're going on break? I'm taking a break, yes. Mama Who's, needs a break. Who said you could take a break? I am the boss and I authorized Mm. I authorized. Are you sure Skippy is not the boss? Skippy already approved it in triplicate. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then Bruno came behind him mm-hmm. and seconded it. Seconded it? it? Seconded it. it. <laughs> yes. I'm taking a break. We we need we need to we need to have some some time away some from murder. Seasons. Yeah. We need to have some time away from murder <laughs> in our lives. Maybe, you know, read a nice book that doesn't involve somebody using shoelaces to choke people or things like that. You know, there are, there are other things in the world that are nice, and I want to explore those things. Boring. So, sorry. But <laughs> we, we do have a plan, so we're not going to leave you guys hanging. We, we do have a plan, and it's not for a little bit. So okay. you still got two episodes and then we will make sure that nobody is left without something to listen to. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, we have wrapped up this episode on Dwayne Lee Harris. Alec. Alec, do you want to? You want to plug, plug Alec plug or how do people find you if you want people to find you? Oh, yeah. So uh, I I do stream, actually. I, okay. I, I, Honestly, I know it's not horror or crime mysteries or anything like that. Usually it's just video games and stuff as a in a variety, but if you want to ever watch me play games and stuff, uh just meet me at uh, twitch.tv/darkong. D A R K O N G. Awesome. Yeah. We'll we'll link to your your twitch oh thank he you he does end up talking a lot more guys i, I heard it. <laughs> oh yeah normally you can't get this guy to shut up so True. yeah there's there's a lot of commentary that you'll hear <laughs> if anybody's into gaming go check him out all right with that we will say goodbye thank you so much as always for listening we really appreciate you guys and thank you to our guests today And as always, we want you guys to be safe and please be kind to one another and stay out of the damn woods. In the woods. It's no good, guys. We keep telling you. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. What Happens in the Woods is an independent podcast and is managed and produced by Gospel for the Rebels, LLC. Research and content are presented by host Jessica with all editing and producing done by your favorite resident techie, Bryce. We believe in transparency and will always list our sources and information in our episode notes. We are always looking for new cases and stories to tell. 
We welcome your interaction with us on Facebook and Instagram at WHIT Podcast and at Twitter, What Happens in the Woods, I-N-T-2. Or if you prefer, our website is whathappensinthewoods.com. The campfire is open to all. Thank you for your continued support of our podcast. If you love us and want to continue to hear us bring you episodes, please share and like us wherever you can. But the best way to help us grow is to hit all five stars and review us on whatever platform you get your podcast fix. Until we meet again, campers, stay safe and stay out of the damn woods.